you're exactly right. There's it's so much more complex now. You know, it's now we have not just physical but but a digital layer and and a spatial layer, right? And so um, it's really taking that same approach, the same methodology as the Ames did on that splint design, um, but then applying it to a digital uh, product or space um, and an interior, right? Because um, it's not in the world we live in now is not products um, on pedestals anymore and in isolation, right? It's, it's all about a larger story, a larger context. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. I'm super excited to share that we will talk to Joey Saladon in this episode. Joey not just has amazing design sketching skills, which you should have a look on his Instagram, but he also had outstanding work experiences in his career we're gonna try to learn from today. From designing sneakers at New Balance and Clarks, he went into broaden his design skills at consultancies like Smart Design or Continuum, before later joining Steelcase as a principal designer for the efforts on the intersection of spatial healthcare experiences and furniture design. We will talk about the increasing importance of design when it comes to emotional ergonomics and how this approach drives human-centered design and also, importantly, inclusive design. He is also the author of the book Feely Touchy, where he explores these emotional ergonomics and he is a co-founder of Mothership, a startup in the intersection of parenting and healthcare. Hi Joey, welcome to the podcast. Hey Sebastian, thanks for having me. I'm really super excited to have you as a guest on today's episode. Maybe for the beginning you can share a little bit how your early days um, of your career looked like and how you got into design generally. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's funny actually, I since I was maybe 10 years old, I knew for some reason, somehow, uh, some way, I wanted to be a shoe designer. So I was I was fascinated with with that one product category footwear mm -hmm. and um, in particular uh, you know Nike Nike Air Max Nike Jordan um, you know Air Griffies I would go uh, shoe shopping with with my mom you know back to school sales at the mall uh, we would go to Foot Locker and and I would just be obsessed with this this one product and uh, and I innately thought that someone was getting paid for this. This was someone's job to, uh, to design, you know, this thing that is creating such an emotional pull, uh, for, for me and for, for many consumers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what, that's what got me into, uh, into design. And I didn't even realize it at the time that it was, you know, what it was called that profession, you know, industrial design or product design. Uh, and I guess it's more more commonly referred to as industrial design, uh, because I think nowadays product design is is considered uh, is more of an interaction design, right? Like a digital. Um, so uh, so that's that's where uh, the seed was planted uh, when I was ten years old, which is crazy. Uh, but it wasn't until I was a teenager, I believe, uh, maybe fourteen or fifteen, um, I was visiting <clears throat> an uncle. Of mine who lives in uh, uh, just outside of uh, San Francisco, uh, I think it's uh, San Jose, yeah, California. Um, he asked me, you know, Joey, what do you want to be when you grow up, or what do you want to study 
when, uh, in university or college. And, and I said, I definitely want to be a shoe designer. Uh, so, so I don't know what, what I have to study to do that. And he said, well, let's go on, let's go on Nike's website and find out. And, and we did, there was, you know, a job opening for a, a shoe designer. Uh, I can't remember exactly the details, but it said, you know, must have a degree in industrial design. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment that, that I decided and knew that, okay, that's what I'm going to study. And I was only 14. Um, and so I ended up uh, enrolling at RIT, um, Rochester Institute of Technology, mm -hmm. in 2002. And um, throughout uh, those four years, I graduated in 2006. And throughout those four years, um, you know, every project, uh, not every project, but um, a majority of my projects, I, um, I always uh, intentionally... Um, reframed them to to be a sh you know shoe design project uh and i was known as like the shoe the shoe kid shoe design mm -hmm. kid uh, and i think you know every class at, in design school usually has these you know these s subcultures or subgroups of yeah. of design s uh, s specialties right uh, some kids are into to cars some students are into shoes or toys or consumer electronics so mm. Um, during my four years, I, I had two internships, uh, both in shoes. Uh, one was at uh, Clark's, uh, which is uh, a British uh, shoe company, but I was at the <clears throat> U.S. location in Boston. Mm -hmm. And the second internship was with New Balance, which is also in Boston. Uh, and, you know, it was a nice, a nice range of experience within shoes because I got to, you know, with Clark's, it was more... Um, casual kind of fashion um brown shoe mm -hmm. industry and then new balance was very much athletic uh so i got <laughs> i got to see both mm -hmm. sides um of the shoe world and uh, and i loved it you know i think it uh it really satisfied um you know that desire and um i ended up getting a job my first job out of school uh i i got a job with clark so they asked me to come back and mm -hmm. And I, I did it. I became a, a full-time shoe designer, um, and that was a great feeling. And I, it was it was really just such a, a wonderful um, just about two years that I worked there. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I got I got my start in design. Sounds great. And then uh, you moved to Continuum after that, right? That's right. Yeah. I I uh, you know I think I I got to a point in designing shoes where you know, I started to ask myself, well, how many, you know, how many more shoes can I really design before it starts to lose its, its, uh, its value, you know, and its, its excitement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love doing it. It's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful field and, um, and, and, uh, the process it's, it's really rich, um, in the craft. I love it still today, but in terms of the output and, you know, moving the needle, I think, um, I started to realize mm -hmm. that it's, it's less about, um, you know, the artifact and more about, um, the story around it that really started to drive me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I, I really wanted to, to branch out and, and, um, diverge in my career. And I knew that in, the best way to do that is to move to, um, 
design consulting. Um, so I heard at the time, um, because mm -hmm. in that business model in design, um, you know, you get a, a broader range of projects to work on, right? Because you get a multitude of clients from different industry. And so I, um, you know, put to, put together my portfolio again and got ended up getting a job with um, Continuum or Design Continuum, I think it was referred to back then, mm -hmm. uh, which is also <clears throat> headquartered in Boston. And I was there for four years and I, I got to work on uh, a number of projects in, you know, everything from consumer electronics to packaging um, to uh, branding and uh, uh kitchen products, um, and even some service design projects as well. Uh, so that was, that was a really pivotal time in my career where I went from, you know, a specialty focusing on, on shoes, one product category to, mm -hmm. um, you know, applying, applying design thinking and design process to, to really anything. So that was, that was really important. Um, so what were the major difference between Working at Continuum versus working at Smart Design. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so yeah, I ended up. I actually ended up um, leaving Continuum to do a. a um, I took a self-imposed sabbatical for one year, uh, actually in Costa Rica. That's where my my father is from, mm -hmm. and I have a lot of family there. And um, you know, I wanted to go there and and uh, brush up on my Spanish. And I ended up getting a teaching a teaching role. Uh, at a design university, and that was my first my first experience um, teaching at a, uh, a collegiate level, mm -hmm. and that was a great experience. Um, but then I started to get, to get the itch to <clears throat> to get back into the design world and, and, and you know and, and practicing design, and that's when I ended up moving to New York City and working at Smart Design, and so I was at Smart Design for uh, uh, four years as well, mm -hmm. and. Um, To answer your question, the difference between the two, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there, there was a huge difference. It's continuum and smart design uh, are very similar in, in approach. They're very user-centered um, design um, mm -hmm. uh, companies, and uh, and I really loved that. You know, I think it was, it was just really a continuation. Uh, of what I was doing at Continuum, but it was just, instead of in Boston, it was in New York City. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, so I, essentially I spent eight years in design consulting, and, and I really grew up, uh, I grew up as a designer on the human-centered design methodology. Uh, you know, it was like, it was like designer boot camp for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, uh, really, those were my formative years, I think, as a designer. Cool. And then you moved to Steelcase, uh, basically decided to move out of consultancy uh, again. And can you tell a little bit about the motivation and your, also your role there? Sure. Yeah. So I was actually um, recruited to Steelcase uh, via LinkedIn uh, through one of their recruiters. And, uh, and I, wasn't, I wasn't pursuing anything at the time. I was really happy in New York at Smart. And, uh, but, but this opportunity came along and I, mm -hmm. um, it kind of, I did a double take, um, because, you know, well, um, of course I had heard of Steelcase. It's a, it's a very reputable, um, you know, design led company. Um, but the location was, mm -hmm. was 
you know, definitely threw me off, you know, being in uh, West Michigan. I had never been to Michigan, and um, it wasn't, you know, necessarily a place that I um, <coughs> was uh, striving to, to get to, but um, I investigated further, and the role at Steelcase was, was really, really unique and interesting. It was it's an interesting um, intersection of design. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, I, I was hired as a, a principal designer uh, for their uh, Steelcase's health division. So for the last two years now, uh, I've been designing furniture and spaces, um, you know, it's in physical, digital convergence uh, within healthcare uh, spaces. So that's uh, like the wait, waiting rooms and clinics, uh, exam rooms, and uh, the spaces in between, and uh, and designing for uh, a number of uh, stakeholders. Um, so it's it's uh, you have multiple users really. It's um, patients, uh, clinic clinicians, facility managers. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a really complex arena uh, in the design field, and and. I think why I really took this opportunity is because, um, in my opinion, it's 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 the new frontier of design, you know, in in health. There's so much opportunity to to improve this space, and and to do it right, you know, to do it um, in a really beautiful way as well. You know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go into this, um, I didn't take this job to create more bland and ugly healthcare furniture, uh, you know, cause that's, yeah, that's not what I want to, to do. You know, I think in our team, um, we all agree, you know, it's, there's so much opportunity to make, um, to make this, this space, uh, very usable and, and help people, but also really beautiful and emotionally compelling. Yeah. And I guess you need a quite holistic design approach. Um, I guess you have a, also quite complex setup of you know, stakeholders and user groups. You know, it's not just the user using the product, but you know, employees, then the patient itself, and uh, so on, and uh, also multiple disciplines um, you need to utilize, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so our team uh, is, is certainly um, multidisciplinary. You know, I work with uh, uh, you know marketers and, and engineers. Um, interior designers, architects, and uh, who else? Um, interaction designers um, and, and researchers, strategists. And we even have an in-house, uh, an, in, um, an internal uh, clinician on staff who is also a trained architect. And she, she adds, uh, um, you know, a tremendous value to our work mm -hmm. and, and really acts as our sounding board because she's, um, she is still a, Uh, practicing um, physician so um, that makes it really uh, really cool to to have her there and and you know as um, as a working professional in in health um, so yeah so it's really my my role is essentially um, the way I see it is um, kind of a conductor you know like I'm not not always specializing or playing one particular mm -hmm. instrument you know, the whole time, uh, I think I, you know, <laughs> I don't carry around a, a, a conductor's wand either, but, uh, you know, it's, it is a bit of, um, you know, harnessing a lot of, um, a lot of these specialties into, um, some kind of, you know, end result, some tangible, um, 
design that mm -hmm. um, that helps people in one way or another. Can you tell a little bit about the importance of design within um, Steelcase? And, but also maybe generally speaking about the role of design within furniture and healthcare space. So at Steelcase, it's very design-led and that's such an important ingredient uh, f uh, to be successful as a, as a designer for myself. And in this organization, uh, you have three primary groups um, that um, try to work together, uh, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> uh, hit their heads together on certain issues. Um, so you have design, uh, the group that I'm a part of, uh, which focuses on, um, you know, primarily human mm -hmm. desirability, or we're, we're, the, we're the, the spokespeople for that lens. You have engineering, which uh, speaks for the technical feasibility, and you have marketing, which <clears throat> represents the business viability lens. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we all come together and try to create Uh, something, um, some solution in furniture and space that that hits on all three, that delivers on all three, and um, and we know as designers that it's it's very important to prioritize uh, the human desirability. You know, we at least for myself, I believe that human desirability should always come first, right? Because it really has to do with the why. Why are we creating something? You know, how is this how is this um, helping people? Why, mm -hmm. why would people care about this? You know, you know and, and if, if you don't have that, then it doesn't matter, you know, how well you can make it. And it doesn't matter if you can make it for very cheap and very cost effective. Um, if, if people don't want it and don't, don't desire it from the heart uh, and from, in their lives, if they don't see a true need for it, then it doesn't, the other two lenses really don't matter. Um, so that, in a nutshell, is really kind of... <laughs> to give you an idea of, of the, um, the dynamic and, you know, the collaboration that, that has to happen. And then, um, to answer your, your second, mm -hmm. uh, the second part of your question, um, particularly in, in healthcare and, and why design is so important. You know, I, I think of, um, I can't help but, but to think of the, uh, the Ames, uh, Ames splint design. Uh, that they created for for Herman Miller, uh, mm -hmm. I believe, and and to me that mm -hmm. that's like the um, the pinnacle or or the the north star, right? That that I'm shooting for, and that I, I believe that our our whole team is is shooting for in um, for Steelcase Health, right? We want to try to create something as as iconic as as that splint design, you know, that really. Um, is, is, is hitting on two, two very important things, right? One is um, it's really helping people um, physically, but it's, but it's done in such a beautiful way, right? It's just such a, a beautiful object and the way that it's produced mm -hmm. and, and the materiality of it. And so I think that's really the best um, way I can describe, um, you know, the, the best way that design can really Um, mm -hmm. create value in in health and do you see this role of designers in that space and evolving maybe to the aspect of digitalization or generally speaking or do you think it's more of a steady uh, position oh it's certainly evolving you know that <clears throat> the aim splint is one example and that's that's purely uh you know a a physical object 
Um, but you're exactly right. There's it's so much more complex now. You know, it's now we have not just physical, but but a digital layer and and a spatial layer, right? And so um, it's really taking that same approach, the same methodology as the Ames did on that splint design, um, but then applying it to a digital uh, product or space um, and an interior, right? Because um, it's not and the world we live in now is not products um, on pedestals anymore and in isolation, right? It's, it's all about a larger story, a larger context, um, and a larger service that, that these tangible mm -hmm. artifacts um, live in and need to uh, work with. And so, um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's so much about that, you know, and, and not just in health, um, but in the larger, um, you know, larger steel case and, and, and in larger furniture and interior industry, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more about this, um, this curation of space, you know, and everything that goes within a space needs to have a rhyme or reason and, um, uh, and have a purpose. And, and more and more we're seeing too, the importance of kind of this, what we call, um, and it's a, it might be a jargony term, but plurality in the space, right? Mm -hmm. And that is essentially <clears throat> this mixture of, um, you know, a range of, of solutions that, that aren't all the same, right? And we see this in, in working environments and in classrooms and also now in, in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want just a one, um, you know, a one solution that fits every need, um, necessarily right so because it becomes a very quickly uh, a, a sea of sameness and, and very boring and so um, you know we need to account for that that trend as well yeah super fascinating and maybe you can share a little bit about uh, what you do at mothership i think you founded it and leading the creative efforts there can you share a little bit about what exactly that is Yes, yes, sure. Um, so <clears throat> Mothership is now uh, two years old. We, uh, my partner uh, and I, uh, Martellus Bazito, she is the, the primary founder and CEO uh, of Mothership. And I'm, I'm the co-founder and, uh, you know, design director. Uh, essentially, Mothership is a nonprofit startup that's uh, a digital platform and community for parents on health topics mm -hmm. and Uh, for raising healthy families, uh, and we're actually about to to run an, um, a full pilot uh, for the the platform uh, this fall, mm -hmm. and and mothership is really grounded in in empathy, empowerment, and non non judgment in the parenting space, and uh, and what makes what makes mothership different is that it's it's a way for parents to find health experts and resources that speak to their unique needs, backgrounds, and experiences. Um, so we have, uh, we provide classes, support groups, uh, resource curation by diverse health experts who are recent parents, who can, who can speak to scientific recommendations in the context of, of the lived realities of parenthood. Mm -hmm. And in all our, um, all the health experts on the platform uh, will be what we refer to as mothership certified. Uh, which which is um, essentially trained in our empathy, connection, and empowerment uh, curriculum, and um, you know it's 
I like to refer to this as a, um, it's like a dating app, right? So um, really it's, it's about matching uh, parents with, um, you know, very um, like-minded um, health experts that, that will really understand mm -hmm. and who can relate to their particular uh, unique, um, you know, life uh, situation and context. Um, do you have an app or is it a web-based service? Um, how do you connect these people? So it's, it's, um, it's going to be primarily web-based to start, but we're, we are planning on um, delivering an app uh, as, as a, a fast, uh, fast follow-up as well. And, uh, and really why, why we started Mothership in the first place is, um, <clears throat> is we recognized that millennial parents um, are a little different, right? Um, they, millennial parents want to make their own decisions based on what's best for the unique needs of their family. Mm -hmm. And the current health system doesn't always support and respect that. And families are feeling information overload and judgment for their decisions. And, uh, and my partner, Martel Esposito, um, uh, who works in the maternal and child health space, had, had this idea to bring together <clears throat> public health um, and healthcare professionals, parents, and designers mm -hmm. uh, to see what we could, could come up with to create better experiences for families uh, with raising healthy kids. Uh, so that, in a nutshell, is, is what, we're, uh, what we're trying to, to create. And, um, and if you want, for, for the, the listeners, um, you can follow, uh, follow along on our, our development of mothership on our Instagram at our.mothership. Um, to to watch our progress and support our work. Mm -hmm. We're going to put that into the description. Perfect. Um, can you tell a little bit about the design process you've uh, been through to set this all up? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's been it's been primarily Martel who's been who's been running run, running the show, of course. Um, and you know, it's 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 really probably most similar to a a service design project. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in terms of, um, for, for the designers listening and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really, a, it's playing the long game. You know, we have to, um, we've had to recruit, um, many, um, you know, parents and, uh, and health experts, you know, we had to set up, uh, uh, user testing, you know, I think determining what needs we really need to um, to address and to solve for it's it's really no different than um, you know your classic human-centered design uh, approach you know that's that's really the methodology that we've been we've been taking with this and um, and really my role uh, as the design lead has been to uh, make sure that our brand uh, and messaging and voice and tone is is consistent and 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 is fresh and unique and really speaks to this demographic. Um, and so that's, that's been my primary role. Mm -hmm. I see this very well connecting to uh, what you do at Steelcase and Healcare, uh, obviously, but also uh, about the next topic we wanted to talk about. You've been creating a book, uh, it's been on Kickstarter, if I'm correctly. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So I wrote a book uh, this past uh, two years uh, and it's called Touchy Feely, and 
it, what it is essentially is uh, an exploration of emotional ergonomics um, to help foster mm-hmm. uh, human-centered inclusive design or or as I like to call it now uh, feeling-centered design or emotion-centered design and um, you know what what emotional ergonomics is is if we if we take a step back and look at um, consider that traditional ergonomics is <clears throat> the study of um, you know the physical world with humans and and uh, and we ask ourselves questions um, as designers like you know how how comfortable is um, you know is this potato peeler in our hand um, when we're using it right or mm-hmm. or sitting in a chair does this chair have lumbar support does it does it you know how, is it comfortable to sit in does it follow the curvature of of our spine um, whereas you know whereas with emotional ergonomics um, this topic I don't believe has really been documented uh, thoroughly and so this is um, this is something that I've I've always wanted to do uh, explore further and um, and essentially with emotional ergonomics you know it, it becomes more of a complex dialogue between you know the physical world or the sensorial world humans um, our brains and our hearts right so it, it's really about mm-hmm. um, asking ourselves more <clears throat> um, you know more of the ooey gooey side of, of these these interactions right so like um, how does how does sitting in this chair really make me feel? You know, what is the larger context that's happening um, that the chair needs to support, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a more emotional or psychological level? Um, and so that's essentially what, what touchy-feely is all about. And, um, and so the book is, uh, is, is 100, um, 100 touchies and 100 feelies. And a touchy is an, il- an illustration um, that I, I hand drawn uh, of a human interacting with some object, right, or some physical experience or sensorial, and then the feely mm-hmm. is the corresponding um, uh, emotional reaction. Which the way that that I wrote it is um, is very. It comes. It's like in a poem, a poem form, right? So it's it's like this uh, very like day in the life uh, of this of this interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that, the way that I tried to make this really inclusive, um, and deliver on that, that human-centered inclusive, uh, lens was in the feely, um, and the emotional reaction, I tried to, I tried to create a range of emotions, right? That, that could be coming from a multitude of, of humans, you know, from different walks of life, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different, um, areas in the world different cultures even yeah and that was probably the most challenging part uh when writing writing this book right is to to make sure that i'm i'm really uh that it's not just you know one one point of view um because it really is because i'm the one who wrote it but i really needed to truly empathize with uh how others might experience this one interaction and so that's what makes i think uh the book really unique and, and interesting yeah that would have been my next question actually because <laughs> yeah so maybe certain things that might feel different for certain people sure and then there's a challenge maybe to uh, capture that 
But did you come up with these examples by, you know, just like your daily life, just experiencing certain things? Or if, you know, you've been sharing this all on Instagram as well, was it reacting on certain comments? Can you tell a little bit about, like, how did you pick uh, the examples? Yeah, I think it was a combination of, of many things. Um, you know, certainly my own experiences, just, you know, living life every day, um, you know, looking at things with fresh eyes, you know, that, that are so mundane, um, like, I don't know, peeling a potato or riding the subway, holding onto a subway pole, um, you know, swiping on your, your smartphone. I mean, uh, it, it really could be anything. And that's, that's what um, is so kind of poetic and beautiful, but also really overwhelming about it, about the process. Um, and, mm. um, and yeah, certainly it's a mix of, of universal feelings um, that we can all relate to. But there's also um, many um, personal ones as well, you know, that are, that are offbeat and, and unusual. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I definitely, two years ago, I started to um, kind of um, uh, pilot, pilot the idea on Instagram by posting, you know, every few days uh, a new drawing, a new touchy, and asking um, the, the IG community, you know, or those who followed me in the design community, you know, mm -hmm. what does this make you feel like? You know, what is your feely from this touchy? And, uh, and I got a lot of, you know, interesting reactions and, and essentially it was my way of, um, crowdsourcing, yeah. <laughs> crowdsourcing the, um, the idea and, and, and also getting, getting different, you know, people's different perspectives, perspectives right yeah. so it wasn't just my brain did you try some of them then out so, for example if you were drawing something you know grab a certain item and kind of reflect on that as well yeah definitely you know i think it was uh, all of all of that played into into the writing of the book um yeah you know it uh, the the piloting on instagram certainly helped drive certain um you know fresh perspectives um that i that found its way into the into the written word. Yeah, I think it's such an important aspect of the design process. I think this uh, book highlights also, I think the, what he said about the emotional part of ergonomics, uh, it's so important to reflect on that during the design process, for example, uh, a kitchen item, or um, it could be also more complex things that has to do with digital, for example. But like reflect and ask yourself, like what kind of is the emotional ergonomics there? Uh, how long did it take for you to, to draw each of these examples? Yeah, so I actually started drawing these back in 2010. Okay. <laughs> so I've been drawing them for, yeah, a long time, eight years. Recycling. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, it's hard to say how long. Uh, it's hard to quantify how long in total it's taken me. But, um, you know, I started, I started this, yeah, mm -hmm. back when I was working at Continuum in Boston. And it really... The idea came from a project I was working on uh, for a client there, uh, and we were we were designing a, a new kitchen cleaning solution uh, for um, the Chinese market, and uh, and it turned out one of the key insights from that project was that that particular consumer uh, uh, in China was more fearful of the chemicals in mm -hmm. the cleaning solution than they were of, of the actual natural dirt mm -hmm. and grease they were cleaning uh, in the kitchen. 
And so, uh, and so what, what we set out to do was design a solution that, that reduced um, the fear that this consumer had, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and ultimately tried to, tried to build trust, tried to build trust mm -hmm. in, the, in the consumer, trust in the product. And, and when, you, when you take a step back, you know, really that's, that is touchy-feely, you know, at, at the core. I mean, it's, that is emotional ergonomics, right? You start with, with a desired emotion, right? A desired feeling. That's, if we want to create something that instills trust, then um, uh, you're, that's, that really is feeling-centered design, right? Mm -hmm. um, or human-centered design, I suppose, is also known as. But you're really putting the human feeling at the center. And so uh, from that, really, my, my process for ideation was, was to start to do these drawings of, um, you know, interactions in the, in the greater kitchen, right? So um, look beyond just other cleaning solutions. And I think we do that naturally as industrial designers. Uh, we look to analogous uh, areas. And so, you know, what, what's more natural and trustworthy in the kitchen than, mm -hmm. than food and fr food preparation, right? And so that's what I started to do is, was look to uh, food preparation rituals and, and interactions to see if we can uh, pull some inspiration and, and, and find, you know, another, like, you know, if you ask yourself what's, what's really trustworthy in the kitchen, it's, I mean, it has to be stemming from something food related. So that, that was essentially the, the starting point of Touchy Feely. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And uh, you were running a Kickstarter, if I'm correctly, and was quite successful. But how do people could still buy the book and get access? Yeah, so, uh, so yes, we, um, we ran a Kickstarter campaign that was successfully funded this summer. Um, and um, that is over now. But we still have books for sale on Shopify. And, uh, and for those uh, listening who, who would like to still purchase a touchy-feely book... Uh, you can do so on joey-zeladin.myshopify.com and uh, we can ship the book to anywhere in the world. Great. Thanks. We're going to put the link into the description as well. Awesome. Thanks, Sebastian. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I think a great shout of knowledge. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This has been uh, truly a pleasure. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.